Also, um, a couple more little announcements that aren't on the screen this morning. One is we do have our Building Our Future um, offering coming up the end of April. We do this every year. So those of you that are new, uh, you'll, you'll kind of learn about this. So Building Our Future is one of those things that we use. Um, when we first started it, we felt like God uh, really impressed on us to do this kind of special offering instead of doing like fundraisers and stuff like that. I, I hate fundraisers. I don't like selling Boston butts. I like eating Boston butts, right? Um, and so I, I don't like doing all that stuff. And so we just, um, when we first started the church, or we, before we moved into this building, we just decided as a, our trustees, we said, hey, let's just see what God can do. And uh, we, we were looking through the scriptures and found out that Moses, um, when he wanted to build the tabernacle, he just asked the people to pray. And he said, see what God would have you to bring for the, for the tabernacle. And so we have that same philosophy here. So every year at the end of April, we do a Building Our Future offering. We ask you guys to pray. If God impresses on your heart to bring a dollar, bring a dollar. Ten dollars, bring ten dollars. A hundred dollars, bring a hundred dollars. I don't care what God tells you to bring. Uh, We just ask you to be obedient to whatever you feel like God is leading you to do. And um, every year we've been able to do this. Uh, The last couple of times we did it was leading up to the purchase of the building. And, um, and God, through that giving, we were able to have um, the entire down payment that we needed to purchase the building. And it was so awesome. It didn't have to come out of our regular budget. And so this year, um, we're not getting to do something quite as fun. But one of the things we are looking at is to um, fix our parking lot and possibly add some more parking out in that grass area. So that's probably where most of our giving, building our future money is going to be going this year. Uh, so we would love for you to give towards that. I know and everybody's like parking lot who cares um but when they built this building when they built this building they we talked to the parking lot people and they said they only did they said when you do a parking lot you have to do three layers they did the first layer out there and so we always wondered why our parking lot's like coming apart um it's only the base layer they never finished the parking lot so we would love to get it finished so we're not constantly having to fix it all right i know that was super boring but that's what we've got coming up i want to tell you that there all right let's get to the word of god so um well, let me just say this real quick. Publicly, let me say this. I have never beaten my wife in ping pong. Not one time. 18 years of marriage. We've played a lot of ping pong in 18 years of marriage. I've never one time beaten her in ping pong. And uh, so Lee and I have something in common. Lee can't beat my wife in ping pong either. Um, and, so, and so I've never beat my wife in ping pong. So yesterday we decided to go out for a date. My kids, two of my kids went to Auburn for spring break, which is awesome. My other kid has a job, so he wasn't home either. And so Perry and I were like, is this what it's like to be empty nesters? And I was like, yes, I love it so much. Um, I can't wait. And so, um, and so we were able to go out for a date and, uh, at, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Because whenever you're old like me, that's when you go out on dates. And so we went to do axe throwing. We went to do axe throwing yesterday. And Perry, just tell everybody who won in axe throwing. I won in axe throwing, so I'm, I'm a better axe thrower than Perry. Can't beat her in ping pong. But if, if ever you need someone, like if you're ever in Lowe's and someone's trying to steal something... And they happen to have one of those axes right there. And there's a black stripe on the floor. And that person gets about 10 feet away. I can hit them for you. I'm your man. I can hit them with an axe. So it was a lot of fun. Um, 
Anyways, I just wanted to brag on myself a little bit because I never get to beat her in anything. All right, so we're going to be talking about Jesus. Uh, We're doing this series called More Like Jesus. And the first week we talked about how Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. The next week we talked about how Jesus prayed for people and he laid hands on the sick and and, um, and, and he prayed for those that were hurting and broken. And and so uh, we had an awesome time last week where we opened up the front of the building and we allowed you to come down and get prayer. We want to continue to do that. So I want to continue to encourage you in that. Um, and it doesn't just have to be for healing. It doesn't have to be for big stuff. I, I tell people all the time, when I was a youth pastor, uh, we had, um, we did that. We prayed for students. And, and literally in one service, I remember uh, we were praying for these students at the front of the service. And one kid came down uh, because he had a C in math. And he was like, my mom is going to kill me. I need to do better in math. And then another kid had, um, his dad had just been put in prison. And, and I told the kids, I said, you know what? Everybody's problem is big to them. Everybody's issue is big to them. And so you may have an issue today or in, at any point um, in church, you may have an issue that you want someone to pray with you about. You want someone to agree with you about in prayer. And, and it doesn't matter how big or how small. One of the things I hate is when people say, oh, well, uh, my problem is just not that big a deal. To God, it's a huge deal. If it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God, and we want to be there for you and help you. That's what family's all about. And so that was the last two weeks. So this week, we're going to be talking about, about how Jesus had relationship with people and what happened in that. And, and I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 5 real quick. This is like a, a great verse for the whole series. It says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. In everything you do, imitate God. That's really cool because it makes me think, hey, even in my marriage, I need to be imitating God. Even at my job, I need to be imitating God. Even when I'm throwing axes, I need to be imitating God, right? Everything I do, wherever I go, I need to be imitating God. It says in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. It is important for us to remember that throughout this whole series, our goal is to imitate Christ. Our goal is to live like he lived, to love like he loved, to do the things that he did. And, and, and that's what we're called to be. When Jesus, uh, when Jesus started calling disciples, the reason he called disciples, the disciples weren't just students. The disciples were, were people that he is mentoring to become more like himself. And so that's our goal throughout this series is to look at the life of Christ and see what it is that we need to be doing. And, and one, of the, one of the major parts of the life of Christ is in his relationships with people, he saw people absolutely transformed whenever he had relationship with them. Think about how many times you've been around people and, and their life was transformed because of who you are. Think about that. Think about how many times you've transformed Whenever you get around other people, all you got to do is remember back to high school, right? Remember back to high school, whenever you walked into high school and you see the other kids, the kids that you like, whatever kids those were, if it was the, if it was the football players or the basketball players, or, or as my kids talk about the emo kids or, or whatever the case is, you, whenever you see these people and you like something about them, what did you do, right? You started uh, combing your hair differently. I did. Um, I don't anymore, but I used to, right? You start combing your hair differently. You start acting a little differently. You start dressing a little differently. All of a sudden you're asking your parents for certain types of clothes, right? Why? Because I want to fit in with this crowd. You become more like those people. 
I, I remember um, in high school trying really, really hard to fit in, man. I remember um, in middle school and high school, I saw these people trying to fit in. And my parents didn't have a lot of money. My dad was a pastor. My mom didn't work. And so we didn't have a lot of money. And so I remember always wanting to look like these other kids. And I remember whenever we found a secondhand shoe store. I don't know why Auburn had a secondhand shoe store, but they did. It was the most amazing thing in the world. Um, I wish that we had one now. And you could go in, and I remember back in the day, the Timberlands with the big puffy tongue. Um, those were po- real popular. I don't know if you guys remember those shoes or not. Maybe I'm the only one. And so I remember all my friends had those, but I couldn't afford them. And so I remember going to the secondhand shoe store and finding a pair of Timberlands with the big puffy tongue. And I don't remember if they were my size, but the fact is my foot went inside of them, right? And I could get them, I could afford them. And I remember wearing those shoes thinking I was the coolest thing in the world. I remember when Duckhead, the the Duckhead brand was a real popular brand. And I remember everybody was wearing Duckhead. And I remember going to school and and back in those days, uh, you kids now don't understand this. but, But there was a time when having holes in your jeans was not a good thing. Right. And, and so uh, there was a time when, when your jeans didn't have any holes. And, and I remember going to school and all of my jeans had holes in them. Right. And, and, and I thought, man, I do not fit in with this crowd. And they're all wearing duckhead shirts and duckhead shorts. And, and I remember finally getting a duckhead shirt and some duckhead shorts. And I finally wore them to school. And about the next week, it all went out of style and everything changed. And there I'm stuck with all this duckhead gear. But the the point is, I kept trying to fit in with the crowd. I wanted to fit in with the people around me. And I began to transform who I was so that I could fit in with those people. And then I would go to church and I would want to fit in with the church crowd. And so so my, my, my language would change. The things I talked about would change depending on where I was, right? I was living this life of a chameleon and it wasn't really a great life because it's very confusing when you're a chameleon always trying to fit in with everybody. You don't really know what you're supposed to look like or be like. And then I remember whenever I changed schools, we went from living in the city to living in the country. And when we lived in the country, I had to change schools. And, and I remember going to that school and I just, I just told myself, I said, this is going to be a new start for you. You're going to be who you are. You're going to love Jesus and you're going to live for Jesus. And you're not going to fit in with anybody because it doesn't matter anymore. And at the new school, everybody was rich and I was not. And, and I remember going to the new school and I thought, you know what? I don't care what anybody else wears. I don't care how they act. And so I would purposely go to the thrift store and I would buy all my clothes at the thrift store. And I would come in with the ugliest pants. I remember one time buying um, plaid bell bottoms, red and green plaid bell bottoms at the thrift store. And I would buy that and I would go to this little vintage shop in downtown Auburn. And, um, and I bought this Cuban shirt. It was very expensive, actually, but I bought this Cuban shirt. Uh, Shirt. We called them missionary shirts when I was a kid, but it was the kind that had the two pockets up here and the two pockets down here. Really, really old people wear these, and I wanted to wear them because I thought it was a cool old shirt. So I had my Cuban shirt, I had my, my green and red plaid pants on, and I'm going to a school with a bunch of rich kids. And then I went to the thrift store and I bought bowling shoes. They were the ugliest white bowling shoes you've ever seen in your life. But I thought, I'm wearing these bowling shoes. I'm going to be totally different from everybody else. And I'm going to have a lot of fun. And people loved it. They loved me. Um, They didn't dress like me, but they loved it. And so I remember walking into the school. The only problem was they had just waxed the floors of the school. And I remember trying to walk down the hall in these bowling shoes. And as I'm walking down the hall, the whole time I'm doing this, you know, and everybody's like, what is wrong with that guy? You know, he's having an issue. Um, But I just decided I wanted to be who I was. I wanted to be who I was. I wanted to love Jesus. And, and, and I wanted, not that loving Jesus means you got to wear bowling shoes. Don't get me wrong. But what it means is I got tired of trying to fit in with every crowd. 
at some point, it gets old trying to fit in with everybody. At some point, we have to learn who we need to fit in with. And we need to remember the times of transformation. And listen, here's the thing. You can be transformed by Christ, but also other people can be transformed by you. And so we need to think about today, who are we imitating and what are we reflecting? I was talking to Josh before service and he and I listened to this message from another preacher and and the guy was talking about the moon and, and he was talking about how the moon doesn't give off its own light, right? The moon doesn't give off its own light. The moon only reflects the sun and the moon is at its brightest when nothing is interfering with its reflection. And, and we are like the moon, and Christ is like the sun. And what are we reflecting to the world? That's something to think about. The word repentance, uh, I, w- I want to talk about the word repentance for just a second. I think this is so neat. I was looking up the word repentance. Um, the word repentance uh, in the Greek is matanoeo. Uh, Anyways, I'm not going to say that right. You know I'm not going to say it right. You won't say it right. Um, but here's what it means. It comes from two words. The first word meaning meta, and this is a word I really think is so awesome. Look at the definition of this word. It means change after being with. Now, we talk about repentance all the time in our church because I want it to be a common word for you. I want it to be something that's a normal part of the Christian experience is that we learn how to repent. But listen, I never thought about that one little word with and how it changes the meaning that it's not just I'm walking this direction and I change my mind and I go this direction towards God. It means I'm changed because of who I'm with. Repentance happens because we are with Christ. Repentance happens because we are with somebody that is reflecting Christ. And all of a sudden we recognize in ourselves that the direction I'm going is wrong. And I want to change my, my way of thinking. Why? Based on who I'm with. Repentance happens in the context of relationship. And we need to understand that. Looking through the Bible just quickly, in, in John chapter 4, the Bible says that Jesus was uh, with a woman at a well. And the woman was all alone. And the woman was an outcast. And the woman was absolutely changed and transformed. She had repentance happening in her life. Why? Because she hung out with Jesus for five minutes. And he talked to her about living water. And the Bible says she goes back to her hometown. And all the men of the city come out to meet Jesus because of that woman. Her life is transformed. Why? Because she was hanging out with Jesus. The Bible says that in, in Luke chapter 7 that there was a, there was a woman that showed up and, um, while Jesus was eating with some friends. And she was a prostitute. And she walks in the room and she begins to wash the feet of Jesus. She begins to cry over his feet. She breaks um, a, a, a jar of perfume over the feet of Jesus. And she begins to wash his feet with her hair. And, and she begins to worship him. Her life was transformed Why? Because she had been with Jesus. And then in in Luke chapter 19, and this is a a little story I want to tell you. Um, Perry always gets mad at me when I read Luke 19 because I always make fun of Zacchaeus. Today I'm not making fun of Zacchaeus. But this is a short story um, that I want to tell you about this man. And so the Bible says in Luke chapter 19, verse 2, we're going to read verse 2. It says, uh, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So right off the bat, you need to understand chief tax collector means essentially he's a mob boss. Like essentially this guy, he's really bad. The Jews um, hated tax collectors because they were Jews that had sided with the Romans. And, um, and because he's a chief tax collector, that makes him even worse. And he's wealthy. He has built his wealth off of his own Jewish people. 
So verse 3, he wanted to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to try to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and, um, and welcomed him gladly. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I want you just to notice, I wanted to read, I told you two stories, I wanted to read this story. This is a good story to just embed into your heart today is the story of Zacchaeus because here's what's so interesting to me we don't see Jesus preach a sermon Jesus doesn't heal Zacchaeus Jesus there's no worship service there's no altar call there's no laying on of hands there's nothing special that happens except Jesus befriends the worst guy in town and shows up at the worst guy's house that's all that happens But because Jesus was there, this guy's life is absolutely transformed. Can I tell you something today? Sometimes people don't need a sermon. Sometimes they don't need you to browbeat them with the Bible. Sometimes they just need you to show up at their house. There's some people who just need to know that you love them and you care for them. But there has to be something different about you. It can't be just you. And that's what we're going to get into Jesus. What made Jesus different? What was it about Jesus that people's lives were transformed just by being in the room, just by sitting next to him at a well, just just by showing up at dinner? What was it that transformed their lives? And, And here's three things that I want to tell you that Jesus did or Jesus was that I feel like is important. First thing is this, and the most important one is Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. We'll go back to the verse we used two weeks ago. It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. He, he then returned, verse 14, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about Him spread throughout the region. So three things happened. We talked about the last two weeks. First week, we talked about him being led by the Spirit. And we said that we all need to be led by the Spirit in everything that we do. And then last week, we talked about how Jesus laid hands on the sick and they recovered. That's the Spirit's power working in and through Jesus. But there's this other word that the Bible says, and it says that he was filled with the Spirit. Three things happened. He was led, he was empowered, and he was filled Whenever we're filled with the Spirit, there's some interesting things that begin to happen. In Ephesians 5.18, the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some translators translate that because in the Greek, they have this type of of, uh, uh, tense that is a little bit different than something we would use. For example, when the Bible says that uh, in in John 3.16, those who believe in him shall be saved, it actually says, uh, if you were to look at it in a literal sense, it would say those who are believing in him. In other words, it it is a present, ongoing type of tense. And so even with the idea of being filled with the Spirit here, when Paul writes that, some translators translate that out as saying, um, be continually filled with the Spirit. In other words, it's this ongoing filling. 
It's not a one time I'm full and it's not a matter of I'm leaking out everywhere. Right. But it is this idea that I want to constantly be being filled by the spirit. And here's what happens. The Bible says that whenever we are full of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, here's what the Spirit does when He lives in you. Whenever He is, whenever you are full of the Spirit, here's what happens. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit filling you. The Holy Spirit produces this fruit in you. What is that fruit? That fruit is the character of Christ. You know what people need? People need love. People need joy. They need peace. They need you to be patient. Your kids need you to be patient. Your kids need you to be kind. The people at your job need you to be good. Like, like there are these, these aspects of life that this character of Christ that is produced in us by the Holy Spirit and produced through us by the Holy Spirit. And these are the things we want to strive for. But these are the things that happen when we are full of the Spirit. These are the things that come out of us. And the Bible says there, there's no law against that. The thing is, we can't imitate Christ. We can't imitate His character unless it's flowing from a Spirit inside of us. Sure, you can pretend to love people, and we see that all the time. You can pretend to be patient. You know, we see people that are, that are patient, but they're patient with the people they love, but they're not very patient with other people. Or I see it just the opposite. I see a lot of times we're patient with the people that are on the outside, but we're not patient with the people in our home. Why are we different from one place to the next? Because it's coming from a place of what I want to do. It's coming from a place maybe of religion and not from a place of being filled with the Spirit. That the Spirit is producing this. I'm not producing it. The Spirit is producing it. So the first thing Jesus was is he was full of the Spirit. The second thing Jesus was is he was consistent. Jesus was just the same in the temple as he was in somebody's home. He was constantly being consistent. He never was changing depending on who the crowd was. In, in a couple of little verses I'm going to throw out at you here, Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 30 says this, But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people need a doctor. Sick, uh, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come uh, to call not those who are righteous, but those who are sinners uh, that know they're sinners and need to repent. In, in other words, Jesus says this, People are looking at him and the religious leaders, the religious leaders are talking down about Jesus. And Jesus says, look, I'm going to love these people just like I love you. I'll love these people just like I love the the religious people. I can I can operate the same way in the temple as I do in someone's home. And yet a lot of times in Christianity today, we operate one way in church and then we operate totally different outside of church. I was I was reading um, uh, a, a, a report came out recently um, or this week, a report came out about, uh, I'm not going to say any names, but a, a famous uh, minister um, in, in other parts of the world. And, and one of the reports that came out was that he had been reprimanded for the way he was treating people outside of church. That he was drinking and, and, and um, got, got drunk and began to say things and do things with women that he shouldn't have been doing. And it got me to thinking Sometimes we can get on a stage and we can say all the right things. We can come in church and we can act all the right ways. But what we do out there makes a bigger impact than what we do in here. 
out there, they're really watching us. And so what we do out there makes a bigger impact. And Jesus was consistent. And so for us to imitate Christ and for us to have transformational relationships with other people, first, we've got to be filled with the Spirit. And secondly, we've got to be consistent with how we are. You should be the same person in church as you are at work, as you are at the gas station, as you are at school. You should be the same person all the way through. Don't try to fit in with the crowd that you're in. Don't be a chameleon. No, no, no. We've got to be like Christ. We don't have to be like them. And like Christ, Christ is consistent everywhere he is. And you can't hide. There was a, there was a couple of stories I wanted to tell, but for time, I'm not going to use them today. Um, but, but one of the ones that really stood out to me that I will use is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It is important that we continually let our light shine. When we let our light shine, then other people not will come to us. They should be going to God. The Bible says, let your light shine in front of others. Let your good works shine in front of the others. So why? So that God can be glorified. Not so I can be famous. So that he can be famous. And so it's important that we continually let that light shine. Don't hide who you are because you're embarrassed. Allow that light to shine. And the third thing Jesus did is Jesus dealt with sin. We think sometimes that Jesus, uh, you know, when it comes to ideas of sin, sometimes we, we get nervous or we get upset. And, and do I say something? Do I do something? Um, what if they don't like me? What if they get upset? But Jesus dealt with sin all the time. And, and, and here's the thing. Jesus understood that his, his purpose on earth was souls, not status, right? He wasn't trying to find a position in a church. He wasn't trying to find a position somewhere. He was trying to win the lost. That was his job. And so I want, I want to read two stories real quick. Today's all about stories. I want to read two stories real quick about how Jesus dealt with sin. And the first one is in Luke chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. And, and the story is about uh, a paralyzed man. And he had four friends. And the four friends were trying to get to Jesus, but they couldn't. And I think I shared this like last week or two weeks ago. Last week, maybe. They couldn't get to Jesus because the crowd was too big. And so they go up on the roof and they tear a hole in the roof and they lower the man down to see Jesus. But this is where I want you to see what happens. When the, it says, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and took off some tiles and they lowered the sick man down on his mat into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith. Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. I find this fascinating. The guy comes in with a need. He's got a physical need that needs to be met. But Jesus cares more about the soul than he does about the body. There's another verse in the Bible where Jesus says, you can go to heaven without your eye, right? But, but if you can go to heaven without your hand, he's saying, but if you go to heaven, with, if you die with sin, you're not going to heaven at all. So it's better to go to heaven wounded than it is to go to hell healthy. And and that's one of the things I love about Jesus is he looks at this guy and immediately he says, your sins are forgiven. He looks past the physical need and sees the soul need. He sees this condition of the man's heart and he deals with the condition of the man's heart. Sometimes people are going to be around us and we're going to be in a crowd. We're going to be in a group. We're going to be in our family. And one of the things we need to start taking note of is not just the condition of their body. We need to take note of the condition of their heart. We need to ask God to reveal the heart of people. And that's what we deal with. That's what we deal with. And then in in, uh, John chapter 15, I mean, John chapter 5, verse 14, the Bible says this. uh, We'll get into that for a second. But this is another man that Jesus healed. This time Jesus healed the man first. 
He healed the man first, and then he finds the man later after he's already healed him. And this is the this thing Jesus says to him. He says, but afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. I find it interesting that Jesus operates in grace and truth, right? Like he has grace on this guy. I will heal your, your condition. But at the same time, I'm going to tell you the truth. The truth is you better stop doing what you're doing or think your life is going to get a lot worse. He says, stop sinning or you will, you will have something worse happen to you. The worst happening to him is, is a life separated from God. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't just patty cake everything. Like Jesus says, I'm going to have grace on you. I'm going to minister to you. I'm going to, I'm going to heal you. But at the same time, you got to stop doing what you're doing. Like this sin is not right and you need to quit it. Listen, whenever we're in relationship with people, we've got to have the, the ability, and this is hard, this is real hard, but we've got to have the, the, the ability to look at the condition of their heart, and we've got to have grace on people. We've got to understand that not everybody's at the same level that we are. We've got to understand that not everybody's moving in the same direction all the time. We've got to have grace, but at the same time, we've got to have truth. And if you only operate in grace, then people will stay in a life of sin. And if you only operate in truth, then what's going to happen is people are going to think you're always mean and mad. I went to Mardi Gras one time to, to witness me and a group of friends. I think I shared this story not too long ago about uh, going to Mardi Gras, and that was the first time I got sprayed with mace. It's the only time I've been sprayed with mace. Um, and it wasn't because I was witnessing. Some drunk guy was trying to mess with this woman, and she pulled out her canister of mace, and she emptied it. She emptied it on that dude's face. And, um, and the guy was drunk, and so he thought he was going to be tough for a minute, and he stood there and took it. But then after a while, he was crying on the side of the road. And the, the problem was, whenever she emptied that can of mace, it just went everywhere. And I just happened to be standing right there. And so it went all in my face. I'm crying, you know, and my eyes are watering. It burns so bad. Um, but one of the things I noticed is I noticed a group of people standing um, on the corner of the street down in Jackson Square in New Orleans, and they're holding up signs, and, they're, and, and the signs were pretty vulgar, but it was saying, God hates whatever. You know, choose your term. I'm not going to say it. And it was telling people all the things that God hates, that he hated them. He hated them. And it said things like, uh, you know, you're going to burn in hell. And there was, ne- there was no place, there was no place for grace in their conversation. No place for grace. It was all truth. Now, I don't think God hates in that sin. I think God hates sin. I think he hates sin, right? And we know that sin will send you to hell, but God hates sin. But the way they were coming across, it was all the truth, none of the grace. But then sometimes we go and sit in churches and it's all grace and none of the truth. So then we leave church thinking, you're either going to leave thinking you're, you're bad and terrible all the time, or you're going to leave thinking you're wonderful and great, but no one's ever told you the truth. If you were to go to the hospital and the doctor looks on the scan and he sees a growth, he sees a tumor, he sees something that could be cancerous, and you say, well, doc, how am I doing? And he says, oh, no, 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 you're all good. It's, it's all good. Just go home and have a great time. You wouldn't want that. You want the truth. But you also wouldn't want the doctor to say, you're dying today. You know, he's like, whoa, 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 give me a little grace here, buddy. You know, help me out. And so Jesus had to operate in grace and truth. And that's the way we need to operate too. I want to finish today with two stories. One is a story of Peter. It's a biblical story. The other story is a story that I was just told this week that I thought was very interesting. The story of Peter, I want to read through this story. I want you to notice how his life was transformed just by being with Jesus. Not by anything special, but by being with Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 26, we'll start there, verse 69. 
The Bible says that Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. This is when Jesus is about to be crucified. He's on trial to be crucified. And it says Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know who you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where the other servant girl saw him. And the people there said, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, verse 73 says, those standing there went, um, went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. And he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. I want you to notice something about Peter. Peter is denying that he even knows Christ. What is Peter doing? Peter is trying to fit in with the crowd. Now, the, the ironic thing that I'm talking about, people's relationships, uh, through relationship, we're transformed, that Peter had been with Jesus for three years. And he's still denying that he knows him. Why? Because there's still too much in Peter that cares about what everybody else thinks. And Peter cares way too much about what the crowd thinks. And so he is vehemently denying that he knows who Christ is. So the Bible says that he, Christ was murdered. He was buried. He rose again. And after Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says he was, he was on earth for a little while talking to people and ministering to people. And, and we find him again in John chapter 21. And in John chapter 21, Jesus shows up on the shore of a lake and all the disciples are fishing. And the Bible says that, that while they're fishing, they recognize that it was Jesus on the shore. And Peter jumps out of the boat, swims all the way to the shore to get there to meet with Jesus. And so Jesus gets there and he's like cooking breakfast for him. He's making fish for him. Um, and so the Bible says in verse 15 of John 21, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Now, a few weeks back, we did a series on love, and we talked about how Jesus is using the word agape. He's saying, he's saying um, Peter, do you agape me? Do you unconditionally love me? And Peter's saying, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. You know I'm your friend, right? So, so Peter's struggling here because he knows what he's done. Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Verse 16, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time, three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus asked Peter if he loves him. A third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus even asked a question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Verse 18, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to um, do as you liked. You dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. He's talking about Peter being crucified. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. But this is huge. Then Jesus told him, follow me. I just find this very interesting in the life of Christ and in the life of Peter. That Peter wanted to fit in with the crowd so much so that he denied Christ. But Jesus loves Peter so much that, that not only does he want to have a relationship with him, he sits down at a meal with him. And how many times have we already mentioned that Jesus would sit down at a meal with somebody and their life would be transformed? We talked about how Jesus dealt with sin. And one of the points I wanted to throw in there, but I didn't want to mix up the verses here. One of the points I wanted to throw in there is one of the ways he deals with sin is he gives room for repentance. You know, sometimes whenever we're dealing with, with sin in, in other people's lives, we have zero grace. We give zero room for change and transformation. We'll give it to ourselves. We'll give it to ourselves, but we don't give it to other people. Jesus had no reason to give Peter this chance. Peter has totally messed up. 
but Jesus gives room for repentance. And not only does he give him room for repentance, but he continues to call him. Peter could have squandered his chance. He could have squandered his chance to be a part of Jesus' life. But Jesus says, follow me. In other words, not just be my follower, but imitate me. Be like me. Jesus gives Peter another chance. And then in Acts chapter 4, this is where we're going to, the last part of the story. So Jesus leaves, the Bible says, goes to heaven. And once Jesus goes to heaven, uh, the, the Bible says that the disciples, um, they, they go into an upper room, they begin to pray, and the Bible says they're filled with the Spirit while they're praying in the upper room. And then a little bit later, in, uh, in chapter 4, Peter and John get arrested. They get arrested. And so here's what happens when they're arrested. They're talking to, this, uh, to, to the people that have arrested them. And it says this. When they had set, their, set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Peter's got every chance to deny Christ again here. Jesus isn't even here to see him. But here's what it says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, this is huge. Let me just pause there. One of the things I want you to notice is the transformation in Peter's life. Peter goes from denying Christ to repenting. And now all of a sudden, look at the boldness that he has. That he's talking all about Jesus. In the face of prison, he's talking about Jesus. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The key verse there is they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want to ask you a question today. I'm not being, I'm I'm not trying to condemn. I'm not trying to look down. It's just a question I want to ask myself. And so I'm going to ask you too. When people at your job look at you, do they recognize that you've been with Jesus? When people at the gym look at you, do they recognize you've been with Jesus? When your spouse or your kids look at you, do they recognize you've been with Jesus? I want to live my life in such a way that people can look at me and they can say, you know what? He may be uneducated. He may be a common man, but he's been with Jesus. Something is different about him. I want people's lives around me to be transformed, not to dress like me, not to look like me, but I want people's lives to be transformed because they see Jesus in me and they say something's got to change in my life. Because anybody that's around Jesus gets transformed. I was talking to my friend Jonathan. He, not this Jonathan, a different Jonathan. Yeah, my friend. This, he's not my friend. I was talking to my friend Jonathan. Jonathan is a missionary in Israel. And one of the things that he does is, is he lives in the Palestinian part section area. And, and so he says he ministers a lot to, to Muslims. That's, that's a big part of what they do. And 
he was telling me about a man that's, that's there, and, and Jonathan's back in the States now raising money to go back on the mission field. They, they do that every four years. And, and so he was, he was telling me the story of a man that, um, that was a Muslim, and some stuff was going on, and so he decided to leave and go to the United States. So he came to the States, and when he came to the States, he heard about Jesus. And when he heard about Jesus, he didn't know what to do with that, and, and so he went to a church and he thought, if I just go to a church, they'll teach me about Jesus. I don't know anything about it. So he goes to, he goes to this church, and he's in, um, I think he was in Louisiana. And so he goes into this church, and when he goes to the church, he, he wants to give his heart to Christ, and he wants to be a Christian. And, and for whatever reason, at this particular church, the, the pastor heard his story and talked to him. And, and the pastor told him, he said, listen, don't tell anybody you're Muslim. Just tell people you're, you're Israeli and they will assume that you're a Jew that, that's getting saved, and so they'll love you. He said, but don't tell anybody you're Muslim. And so he didn't. He just told everybody he was an Israeli, and so they assumed he was Jewish and, and given his heart to Christ. And, and so as, as long as he kept up that facade, then people liked him and they accepted him. But then one day someone found out that he was a Muslim, and, and when they found out he was a Muslim, the church rejected him. And he tried to go fit in. He tried to go find people to help him. But he got rejected time and time again because of his past, because of who he was, and, and because of this, this Islam and his past. And so he ended up coming back to, to, to Palestine, to Israel. And, and whenever he came back, he found my friend Jonathan. And, and my friend Jonathan began to love him and disciple him. And he, he, he truly gave his heart to Christ. And he began to serve God. And, and, and he just realized, though, his wife was still a Muslim and his kids were still Muslim. And, and, and he was upset. And, and one day, Jonathan had, he keeps giving him all these scriptures to read and keeps giving him different um, books to read. And, and so one of the days, he had been reading in the book of Acts. And he gets in the car with Jonathan and he says, Jonathan, I was reading in the book of Acts and I read Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, something happens to the disciples. And he said, you are like the men in Acts chapter 2. He said, you're different than the other Christians I met in the United States. You're different than everybody else I've ever come in contact with that tried to tell me about Christ. He said, you are like these guys in Acts chapter 2. He said, what is the difference? I want to be like the men in Acts chapter 2. And Jonathan said, the difference is the Holy Spirit. He said, the difference is being filled with the Spirit. And he said, well, I want that. And so they, they were in their truck and Jonathan said, I don't, I don't necessarily have, you know, places where you can just, uh, you know, go in and pray with people in public. And he said, sometimes you got to be a little sneaky. And so he said, we're driving in our truck and we found a little spot we could pull over. And he said, I began to pray for this guy. And he wanted the Holy Spirit in his life. And he said, from that day forward, that guy's life was absolutely transformed. And he began to pray for his wife. And they said that, that one day his wife came. He said I, I, he brought his wife to Jonathan's house. And they came and sat down. And they began to tell her about Jesus. And they began to tell her about the scriptures. And, and tell her about Jesus' love. And, and, and the wife went home. And whenever they went home, she locked herself in her room for three days. For three days, she was locked up in a room and wouldn't come out, wouldn't talk, wouldn't eat. And for three days, she stayed in her room. And this guy's thinking, oh, no. She's calling the Islamic leaders. They're going to come take my kids. And, and he's getting scared and trying to make plans on how to get his kids out of there. And all this kind of stuff is, is happening. And then all of a sudden, one day she comes out. After three days, she comes out of her room. 
She's crying. She said, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. And then this guy goes to work, and when he goes to work, he begins, people begin to ask him, why are you different? What's different about you? See, what happens is whenever you come in contact with Jesus, you begin to transform. But it's not just for you to transform. It's for the people around you to be transformed. And he goes to work and the people around him are, they're all Muslims and they're beginning to see something different. And they begin to ask him questions. And when they'd ask him questions, he would begin to tell them about Jesus. And they would get in an uproar and they would get mad. And, 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 and so his boss comes to him and says, what's going on? He says, listen, I didn't preach about Jesus. They just asked me about Jesus. And all I did was answer the questions that they were asking. And the boss said, don't ever say that name in here again. Not long after, Jonathan ended up leaving and coming to the States. And he, he communicated back with his friend. And when he communicated back with his friend, he said, something's happened. He said, I went to my boss the other day and my boss said, you can talk about Jesus anytime you want. And he said, what's changed? Why are you letting me talk about Jesus now? He said, because when you were around that that white man, you acted like this. And Jonathan said a lot of times in in that culture, he said, whenever Americans come, they view Americans kind of as a cash cow, you know, and they'll act however they want to act just to get something from you. He said, but I was gone. And whenever I was gone, the boss recognized the fact that this man had been truly transformed because he still acted the same way, even though I wasn't around. And the guy said, you can talk about Jesus anytime you want to. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I don't have this big, great altar call today. All I have is a question for all of us. Who are we imitating? Are we imitating our friends? Are we imitating our culture? Are we imitating what we see on TV? Are we imitating Jesus Christ? And what do other people see in us? Are they recognizing that we've been with Jesus? Are they recognizing that we've been with Jesus? That's the big question. Why don't you close your eyes with me this morning? And we're going to close out with this. We're going to pray. I want to pray for you right now. And I'll pray for myself. But at the same time, if you need prayer this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. I want to give you that opportunity today. And so before we pray, before we dismiss today, if I could get Gary, Sarah, y'all come down right here to the front. Perry, you come right over here, babe. If you need prayer for anything today after the service is over, we want to invite you down. Let someone pray with you today. But here's my question for us today. Who are we imitating? Who are we imitating? So God, right now, I just pray for each and every person in this room. Father God, that your spirit would convict us. Not just convict us of wrong, but convict us of righteousness. God, show us right now any areas in our life, God, where maybe we're not acting like you. Maybe we're not imitating you. Maybe we're not living for you in, 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 at our job. Or maybe we're, we're living this chameleon lifestyle where we're trying to be like somebody that we're not. Instead of trying to be like you. God, I just pray for us today that we would step up to another level of Christianity, this level of imitation, God, not just in words, but in our life, because your word says that as we let our good deeds shine, as we let our light shine, that people will glorify you. We don't become famous, you do. And so, God, I just pray today, if there's any of us in this room that haven't been acting like you. Maybe we haven't been living the lifestyle that you've called us to. Maybe we haven't been filled with the Spirit and allowed the fruits of the Spirit to flow out of us. And God, I pray today that you would forgive us, help us to repent, help us to change.
because we've been with you. Lord, I praise you and I thank you and I bless those in this room today that as we leave this place today, that we will be transformed. We won't stay the same, God. We don't want to be the same person we walked in as, God. We want to walk out and be more like you every single day. In Jesus' name, amen.